this week I was getting my hair cut, all of them, all of them, not just one. And the person cutting my hair was surprised to find out that I like this time of year, <laughs> or that I like this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And she was she was really surprised to hear that. I was like, oh, and, you know, I don't know her very well. She's cut my hair one other time before, but she's like, oh, I'm surprised to hear that you like this time of year. And I said, well, I take it that you don't. <laughs> and she said, well, yeah, I don't like all the expectations. And so here we are officially in the Christmas season. This time of year is hard for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. She mentioned the expectation and pressure to fulfill the ideal Christmas for family and those around her. I grew up having pretty fond memories of this time of year. And I've, you know, I'm really blessed to have family that is able to get together a lot and we like each other most of the time. <laughs> Anyhow, you know, we'd have good food and all kinds of fun, Christmas trees, and so it's always been really fun. And some people think about the people they've lost this time of year and it's really hard. I titled this message as The Cost of Christmas and how sometimes the expectation, this isn't going to be a rant against the commercialization of Christmas. That's not what it's about, but there's this dual meaning there. Like, I, I know that I don't usually count the cost of Christmas until like right before, right in the middle, and then afterwards, even though when you have tried to prepare for it as best you can, you have either, you, you may have gone over what you were planning on. There's just seems like um, it can be difficult this time of year to see what it really costs you, you know? what? Oh, there's some funny stuff happening back there. Um, the one cool thing about Christmas for every year for us is that the story was always told. The story was always read. The story was always told. It wasn't just take it for granted. Hey, you know the story, but the story was always told. Um, I'm not sure, though, if Christmas has ever cost me as much. And when I say Christmas, I mean the first Christmas. I don't know if it, it, it's ever cost me as much as the people who helped make it happen. <laughs> uh, and I was thinking um, that I was thinking that I should have made my font a little bigger so I could read it better. But <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm going to go up just a little bit here. There we go. I don't think that Christmas has ever cost me as much as the people at the first Christmas is what it cost them. And so what we want to walk away today remembering is that we have to place our hope in the Word of God. Our peace depends on it. Our peace depends on placing our hope in the Word of God. We have to believe that all things are fulfilled in Christ according to His Word, not according to our surrounding circumstances. Um, like I used to, like I used to hear the, the scripture Luke two fourteen came to my mind, and when you read it in the New King James version, and I don't I don't think I had them put it this way. When you read it in the New King James version, Luke two fourteen, um, the classic quote of that is "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men." And so, that's how I grew up reading that verse. Good. And it can, it can paint this picture um, that 
the coming of Christ is going to cause uh, peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. Like, and when you look at from then on, from now, like you could look at that verse and say, when? When is there going to be goodwill towards all men? Like, peace on earth. You know, I'm thinking maybe someday, right? Um, but when I, when, I, when I started looking at the other translations, like the New American Standard translation, I'm not sure what translations you have, it actually says glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. That's a little different to me. Peace among people with whom he is well pleased. As opposed to Jesus comes into the world and everybody experiences peace. Now there was some peace going on in, in that time from what I understand. Like they weren't at war at time, but to say that Jesus' birth brought peace to everyone in the world—it's just not true. We can look and see that that hasn't happened. It makes the availability of peace to all, but it's to to those he is well pleased with. God's God's favored people should be recognizable by the common peace that they, that they share. Our, our peace, like something that is a characteristic of being a Christian, should be obvious to people around us, and that's peace. Peace should be a common characteristic that we share. I'm not expecting everybody to be perfect in that. I'm not saying you can't have unpeaceful moments in your life, but it should be something, something marked in our life that when people are around us, they're like, where do you get that? What is it? What do you have? Where did that come from? How do I get it too? These are some questions that I think that the peace of Jesus residing in us because he's well pleased in us. He's well pleased in us because we have received him. He can be well pleased with us. He can well please, be well pleased with us. I don't know if at different, different um, levels or not, but some of the things that when we have the peace of Jesus inside of us, and especially, you know, among amongst us there's an interconnection of what peace does when we are interconnected by peace there is something that everybody else should be seeing that says how do i get that where did you get it from and 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 what what is it it's different it should be marked in in here's my example of that in in february of 1996 my son was born so in the summer of 1996, there was a little red furry critter toy that came out. And um, when you squeezed it and tickled it, it would giggle and move. Who remembers Tickle Me Elmo? Okay, okay, right. So when it came out, it wasn't that big a deal. I mean, in, in the summertime, it really wasn't that big a deal. They made, I, I looked at the story this morning, it said they made 400,000 of them. And they were kind of just on the shelf and coming in and coming out. And then, I don't know if it was, I think it was the Rosie O'Donnell show or the Ellen show. They, they, they gave 200 of them away on TV to the people that were in them. And for some reason, that started this massive drive to get the Tickle Me Elmo. Right? And everybody had to have it. And by December of that year, they were literally almost nowhere to be found. It was a $30 toy that was selling for $1,000 on the resale sometimes. 
You know, there were people paying up to $1,000 for this little toy, this little something that you just couldn't find anywhere else. If I had walked into a store in December with a Tickle Me Elmo in my hand and was walking around, and, and I had something that everybody else wanted, I had something everybody else wanted, what would they do? Where did you find that? Where did you get that from? Is that the real deal? There is something that I want. You know, it's something, and the peace of God inside of us, and we can apply this to a lot of his, his other characteristics, the love of God, the peace of God. The peace of God inside of us should be something that is a magnet for the rest of the world to say, where did you get that from and where can I find it? God's will gets accomplished through those who are highly favored. God's favor on your life is an invitation to participate in His will. But God's favor and His will can attract unfavorable conditions around you that will require you to be at peace and rest in the fact that you are following His will. You, like, when God says you are highly favored, it's it's a great thing until it's not. <laughs> like like it's it's not a curse, but you might think it is if you can't have the peace of God inside of you and the rest that He provides that you are following His will and you are following His word. And I want to just speak just a little bit in, from Luke one about Elizabeth and Mary. See, uh, in, the, in the birth of Jesus, I see Elizabeth and Mary did the will of God at a cost to their personal lives. At a cost of what everyone else thought, yet God's assignment, at a cost of what everyone else thought wasn't God's assignment. But because they were righteous and highly favored, God gave them this assignment. But as they walked through it, like, I mean, I just see that it cost them. It costs them something to get the Lord into this world. So in Luke 1, in verse 5 through 7, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And I might use the name Zach for short on that. <laughs> there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And yet they had no child because Elizabeth was infertile and they were both advanced in years. We don't know how advanced in years they were, but they hadn't been able to have children. And so I feel like one of the things that Luke is doing here is setting the story straight for us, for Zechariah. And Elizabeth. You see, he's letting us know that Zechariah had a priestly lineage, right? Said so he he walked in the division of Abijah, and you can find that I think it's in First Chronicles 24, and he's the eighth division of priests. And the priests were responsible for doing priestly duties around the temple. And one of the things that they did is that they would go into the temple and burn incense to the Lord. 
And one of those, and to burn incense to the Lord, if I understand it right, only happened once in a lifetime, and it came to you by, by drawing your name out of a hat. They called it by lot. They draw, whoever, I guess they would draw, and whoever drew out the right colored stone, I think that might have been it, is that they would be the person to go in and burn incense to God. And so, Zechariah had this priestly lineage, and he married a woman named Elizabeth that was a daughter of Aaron, which means her father probably was a priest. Like she had a priestly lineage in her life too. So here's these two people that hadn't ever had kids, and not having kids was a big deal back then. It could have people look at you like you did something wrong, you sinned, your body was bad, you weren't pure, God was angry at you, all those types of things. But yet, here's this couple with a priestly lineage that didn't have kids, but Luke tells us that God said that they were both righteous in the they were both righteous in the sight of God. They were both walking blamelessly. They both followed God's commandments. But they didn't have any kids. But God despite not them being able to have kids, God still sees their lives as favorable. And as the story goes, um, Zechariah goes inside the temple to burn incense, and an angel shows up and tells him, hey, guess what? Your prayers have been answered, and your wife is going to have a baby. You're going to have a child. And um, he, he questions God. His mouth gets silence. He can't talk. He comes out, but the, but the truth is, is that Elizabeth ends up pregnant. She ends up pregnant with a child. And the cool thing was, is that uh, the, the angel tells Zechariah that this child is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's even in his mother's stomach. So God gives him this big promise and tells him, you're going to have your prayers have been answered. The, the, the things that you've been wanting for a long time are now coming into play, and God is answering your prayers, and it's even much bigger than you imagined. You see, they just wanted a baby. They just wanted a child. They wanted it for a long time. But now God says, no, i got a, I got a plan for you. Not only is he going to be a child, he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the deal is, is that this is part of God's plan, but it had cost Elizabeth a lot to get there. It cost her, um, I don't know about a lifetime, because I don't know how much longer she lived afterwards, but it cost her some pain and suffering to get there. It cost her, um, perhaps it doesn't, it doesn't say it exactly, but you can understand and see what people may say about you if you haven't had any kids, and that's a really important deal in your, in your uh, culture. But we, but we do know it cost her because it says in verse 24 and 25, it says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the, in the days when he looked with favor upon me, to take away my disgrace among people. Whatever it was that had happened, the pain, the hurt, it caused her to feel disgrace among her people. And so she isolates herself for five months. 
And I was kind of thinking about, I wonder why she did that. I kind of wonder, like, if the pain of the words of people have done so much damage to you when you weren't having kids, what happens when all of a sudden you do get pregnant? What were the, what will the other what will they say now? What will people say now? Right? Do you isolate yourself, saying there's no way that people's words or the way they've treated me in the past, they're not going to steal my joy in this one. They're not going to take away my peace. I'm going to isolate for a number of months. And there could be a much better reason for it that I don't know. I, didn't, I did not look up, is there a reason? It doesn't say in the Bible, but, but Elizabeth isolates herself so I feel that nobody can steal her joy of what she's been wanting. Nobody can steal her peace. But I feel like that years of waiting for a child cost her something. It cost her something. And what about what about Mary? Mary's a young girl. They estimate 12 to 15, somewhere in there. She's not married. She's betrothed to be married. How does the angel address her? She has an encounter with the angel. It says in Luke 1.28, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found... Oh, he says, Greetings, favored one. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your room and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Hey, hey, guess what, Mary? He says. God's going to do impossible things through you, but it's so impossible that no one is going to believe you. The favor of God in your life is going to, is, is going to attract some judgment. It's going to attract some criticism. It's going to attract some doubt. It's going to cause some disconnection with fear. It's going to try to discourage you. It's going to try to rob you of your peace. It's going to try to rob you from what God has said about you and your life. Listen, Mary handled this really well. She said, be it unto me according to your will. But she didn't know how this was going to happen. She didn't know how it was going to play out. I feel like there was a, a burden that Elizabeth carried throughout her life that cost her something. And she finally got her answer and finally got her joy. And I, I kind of feel like Mary was in a, a place of just kind of minding her own business. And she hadn't asked for a child. And, and God says, I'm going to give you a child supernaturally. And I feel like that cost Mary something. It was a cost to Christmas. It was a cost of, of, the, of getting Jesus into this world has cost people that were highly favored by God and trying to do His will. And that's why I say we have to place our hope in the Word of God. We have to have our hope in the Word of God. If we don't, they're going to steal our peace. <laughs> if you listen to what everyone else is saying, you won't feel that favored at all. God's, God's righteousness, what is, what is... The kingdom of God, they say, Paul says in Romans 14, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
God's righteousness, peace, and joy comes from what He's put inside of you, not what you put inside yourself. So it's not, it's not eating and drinking, Paul says. It's not just right and wrong. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I kind of wonder if he'd put those in a particular order. You see, I don't know if you can have peace without being righteous by the Word of God. I don't know if you can have true peace. And I don't know if you can have true joy without having true peace from God. Zechariah and Elizabeth were called righteous because of the way they lived their life. And God calls us to take in, to allow the Holy Spirit to live with inside of us and what's inside of us to come out as righteousness, peace, and joy. It's not what we take in from the outside. It's what He puts inside of us. Following the the will of God and being favored by God can cost us sometimes. But I love how Mary and Elizabeth handled it. Elizabeth secluded herself for five months. And in that five months, at some point, Mary comes comes and visits her. And when Mary walks in the door, Elizabeth leaps, her child leaps inside of her. And it says, the Bible says that Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit and she starts speaking, praying, I'm going to call it prophesying to Mary. And out of, and out of this, these times, Mary has a song too. It was the peace between them, I think, that caused them to be able to worship and praise and give thanks to the Lord for what had cost them and what was going to cost them in the future. You know, I mean, both of those kids were murdered in the long run. All their hope, you know, we don't know if Elizabeth was still alive or not when her son John the Baptist was beheaded. We know Mary was alive when her son was crucified on the cross. Everything they worked for, everything they had cost, they had to realize that it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it to follow the will of God. It was worth it to live a righteous life. It was worth it to maintain the hope and peace and to praise and sing because there are hard times in life. But the result was a Savior. The result was a Savior born for us. And I want to encourage you that God has really good plans for your life. God is excited about how He created you. God is excited by the risk that you've taken in following Him. Some of you have done some really big risks, and in the moment, like it's exciting, and then you get into it, and you hit hard times, and your friends or people around you that don't know you, they start saying, well, maybe you missed it. Maybe you weren't following the Lord. Maybe um, God's mad at you. Maybe He's punishing you. But you know that you've done what you're supposed to do. And maybe you think, I'm, oh, I'm a bad parent or something like that. Or, or you know, maybe I'm not doing my, my job well. Or the dream isn't coming together like you thought it should. 
but it might be coming to better coming together better than you you know that it it was supposed to it might, things might look better than you can see right now in this moment like the promises of god are there for you but they're also for the next generation hebrews tells us that not all the promises that abraham was given were accomplished in his lifetime and they're still continuing today, I believe. And I just want to encourage you that if you your peace is shaken or rattled this morning, or if you're not sure, here's, here's one. Maybe, maybe you're hopeful and nobody else knows why. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're like, no, I'm good. And everybody else is saying, you shouldn't be good. No, I've got this hope and I've got this peace. Keep going. Keep coming to the Lord. Find somebody that you can connect with that may be in the same boat that has the same hope and the same spirit and connect with them and just rejoice and praise together. That's what I see Mary and Elizabeth doing. Keep going. Like this, this, this time of season, it costs us financially, but listen, it costs some people their whole lives to bring it into fruition. And the favor of God doesn't always feel favorable. But I think that He's got great plans for you. I think He's got great plans for us. And walking them out is part of the fun part <laughs> most of the time. So I'm just going to pray for people's hope and peace before we close. Father, I want to experience the true joy of this season. I could have done that better with the, she caught me off guard with God when she said, I'm surprised you enjoy this season. But I understand her circumstances, God. I just want, God, I'm just asking that our joy and our peace would just shine through in this season, whether we can meet the standard or not of, of what the world expects out of Christmas. Lord, thank you for a, a bright and shining people group that are interconnected, that share your peace, who are favored by God. I ask that you would be with us this next week and have us be mindful of what somebody, that we would be prepared for what somebody may say to us, God. That we would be prepared for what somebody might actually see in us too, God. We ask your peace would come to those who are in a peace right now. We ask for your hope to be restored within those. God just says, good job. You need to hear him saying, good job, guys. Good job. You just need to receive that this morning. God, God's not just disappointed in you, okay? Good job. Good job, people. You are highly favored. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.